0: this is section eighty four of mark twain the complete interviews this librivox recording is in the public domain interview eighty four herbert lowe mark twain in sydney a further interview argus melbourne september seventeenth eighteen ninety five page five read by john greenman mark twain landed in sydney today he is spare and undersized and there is nothing about him to fill the eye. Physically, he is disappointing. Intellectually, he is like many another humorist. He seems cast in a somewhat somber mold. "'Life,' he said, looking from beneath his fair shaggy eyebrows, "'is not at all a humorous thing. I have never found it a joke, and I am serious, if nothing else.' Man, as a normal creature, is serious now and then. One of us, say, a scribbler like myself, pen in hand, may get a moment of enlightenment, a sudden thought may slip in, and then comes humor. That, however, is a contribution which the gods have sent his way, and which really is not of man it comes from some place the key of which he does not possess to open it at his will yes life is serious and man is the most serious part of it now you have heard he continued that i am the laziest man in the united states yet i tell you and i believe it is perfectly demonstrable that there is no such being as a perfectly lazy man just consider that every man has a gift either large or small it may be to play billiards or to imitate paderewski whatever that gift is man takes a native delight in exploiting it and it is a most difficult thing to prevent him from exercising that gift there are hundreds of interests that the human race possesses in the case of any particular man ninety-nine out of a hundred of these interests may not appeal to him so that so far as they are concerned he is the laziest of beings he is too lazy to do this, too lazy to do that. But when you arrive at his gift, he is not lazy. It is difficult, then, to keep him from working night and day. So I frankly admit that, in regard to many human things, I am, if you like to use the term, phenomenally lazy, lazy in every way that you can possible imagine until it comes to writing a book. Then there is no more industrious man in the world than myself. Let me alone, and I will work with my pen until I drop from fatigue. Then the only trouble my family have with me is digging me out of my chair when my day's work is done. To the extent I describe, then, i am lazy or industrious just as you please understand i don't philosophize i leave that for newspapers to do i simply state a fact having thus swept away what evidently was looked on somewhat as a personal aspersion mark twain discursively alluded to one of his most memorable experiences i was in london for a day he remarked but that day lives with me forever. there is only one london it is unique i went there to meet my old friend mr stanley and he was good enough to bring some seventy-five or a hundred of his friends to greet me there was not one of the men present who had not earned his claim to personal distinction as i chatted with them the thought was always present this is not the only gathering of the kind in london there are many more roofs here covering the world's great tonight that thought has lived with me and i want to be told where to-day is there another city which can produce such a spectacle without effort. The wealth and intellect of the world is centralized there. It is wonderful. And what cannot be said of the nation which has evolved such a city? That day's visit certainly was one of my most memorable experiences. Then, if you ask what man has impressed me most, I hardly know what to say. Still, I think above all men i would put general grant his was a grand figure and his was a noble nature it was so simple and so beautiful standing face to face with him you looked at a man with a mighty record and yet it was not the knowledge of that fact but the man's latent power that was so impressive with him it was just as with the Reverend Thomas Starr King of San Francisco, who was so renowned a preacher in that city thirty years ago. It was the perseverance of that man that distinguished him above others. So it was with General Grant. Of course, General Grant had great contemporaries. There was Sheridan and Stonewall Jackson the latter with his deep religious fervor just such another as gordon and the former with his profanity oh my he could swear still i suppose after all that was merely a matter of environment if he had the same training and the same surroundings as general jackson i suppose he would have been much the same do i mind saying what i think about bret harte said mark twain in reply to an inquiry no but mind if i speak strongly it is merely a personal opinion i detest him because i think his work is shoddy his forte is pathos which does not come out of a man's heart he has no heart except his name and i consider he has produced nothing that is genuine he is artificial that opinion however must be taken with some allowance for as i say i do not care for the man mark twain uttered this sentence with an emphasis that left no doubt as to his earnestness and then went on to say i have no objection to my views being known it is purely a personal criticism. I dare say, when I go to London I shall meet him. But what of that? I am most moderate in my dislikes. There are only three or four persons in the world to whom I have had any antipathy, and the Almighty has removed most of them. It does seem wonderful that I should not have been allowed to get at them before they died. On the other hand, I have devoured what Rudyard Kipling has written. He is wonderful, and, strange to say, I met him before he was known to fame. One day, when I was stopped at a country place for the summer, I got a card on which was written that the bearer had come from— allahabad or some such place fourteen thousand miles away to see me now this i took to be a tremendous compliment then when he was admitted he said he had only travelled from new york well that was two hundred and seventy five miles so i forgave him his story his card fell into the hands of my daughter who impressed with what he had written on it, and the compliment paid me, kept it twelve months. Later Kipling's name was in everyone's mouth, but I had not the slightest idea that he was the man who had rung in the fourteen-thousand-mile fiction on me till I read the account of his tour in the London world. Then I realized that he was identical with my visitor of twelve months before, and sent my daughter to look up the card which she had fortunately kept. We have met frequently since then, and he is a most interesting personage. We in the United States, of course, look up to Nathaniel Hawthorne as possessing that something which marks genius and makes man live forever. It is always remarkable to me that he should have written such incisive English at a time when that was not the prevailing style of authors, and it is still more remarkable, when you travel on the continent, to find that the one book which has been translated as the best type of American literature is Helen's Babies. End of interview number 84, read by John Greenman.